Well, good morning, everyone. Woo, man, what a beautiful day today, yeah? And VBS is over. Now, we had a great week, man, and uh, next week we're going to show you a little film clip of all the excitement that went on around here and the volunteers, what they look like at the, the last day of the week, you know, and... Uh, no, but we had a great and glorious time, and uh, I, I, I don't have the exact number, but I asked one of the gals, and she said we averaged over over 100 a night, so uh, over 100 kids a night, so praise the Lord. Again, you guys know that I'm a big uh, fan of VBS, and, but anyway, here, our, our VBS is today, so if you'll turn in your Bibles, please, to the book of Matthew. And uh, we're going to read um, from chapter 13, but I am going to establish uh, the context of this passage. So we're going to probably venture into chapter 12 as well. Uh, but right now, Matthew chapter 13, verse 1. Let's read our text. And again, we'll stand in honor of the Lord. Verse 1 says, And the same day went Jesus out of the house, and he sat by the seaside. A great multitude were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship, and he sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore. He spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside. The fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth and when they when the sun was up they were scorched and because it had no root they withered away and some fell among thorns and the thorns sprung up and choked them but others fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. Who, who hath an ear to hear, let him hear. Well, then the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? He saith, or he answered, and he said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mystery of the kingdom of heaven, but unto them it is not given. For whosoever hath to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. Whosoever hath not from him shall be taken away even that he hath. Now therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing you shall hear. And shall not understand, seeing you shall see, and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, it's thick, it's dull. Their ears are dull of hearing, their eyes they have closed. Lest that any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and shall be converted, I say, or I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for... They see in your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you that many prophets, righteous men, have desired to see those things which you see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which you hear, and have not heard them. 
Hear hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When one heareth the word of of the kingdom and understands it not, then cometh the evil one or the wicked one, and he catches away that which was sown in his heart. This is he that receives the seed by the wayside. But he that receives the seed into stony places, the same as he that hears the word and anon with joy receives it. Yet had he not root in himself, but endures for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arise because of the word, by and by he's offended. He also that receives the seed among the thorns is he that hears the word and, and the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches that chokes it out. He becomes unfruitful. But he that receives good or the seed on good ground is he that hears the word, understands it, which also bears forth uh, fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty and then some thirty. Would you please stand with me, Bible in hand, and we'll pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much, Lord, for your heart. Lord, he could have just made some type of doctrinal statement and just left it up to them to try to understand it. But no, God, he, he would try to explain some hidden truth mysteries as it were God by telling stories I thank you Lord for your heart I thank you Lord it's in your heart to reveal truth to us so father I pray God that as we're here going through the word together as we're trying our best to study the life and the ministry of Christ that your Holy Spirit would illuminate these deeper things, God, hidden things. Lord, if it wasn't for your spirit, we would be still in darkness, not understanding a thing. I pray, Holy Spirit, for everyone that's here this morning, that you would give them ears to hear and hearts to understand. Lord, if they feel like they're in darkness right now, would you just give them that measure of faith, just a little light? It doesn't take a lot. To see, God, how much you love them and how much you desire for them to know the truth, to set them free. Lord, I don't mean to keep rattling on, God, but what good would it be for us gathering together today and not walking away with truth? Please help us, Holy Spirit. We so welcome you here today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said together, amen. Thank you, guys. Uh, One of the things that I I really enjoy doing, or I really used to, I don't travel all that much anymore. I just don't think I can anymore. I just, you know, every time I come home, it takes me months to get back on my feet. But I used to do a lot of traveling in India, Africa, Nepal with Jaron all. And of course, many of you know, I teach this course called Inductive Bible Study. Yeah, just, I'm just curious. If I had a course here, Inductive Bible Study, how many of you guys would, would venture out to attend that? Just raise your hand. And, okay. Um, but one of the things that um, 
I really drilled into the students there, whatever training or Bible school I was teaching at, is the whole thing about expositional consistency, knowing the context, establishing content. And I think that's, for us, it, it's, a safe, it's, it's, it's a safe place to be because then you're not going to misinterpret your Bible. You're, you're not going to pull a scripture verse and take it out of context. And um, I remember I was in Delhi and I was teaching. It was a small school there. But I told them that God had never given us the right to do that, to misrepresent him. And then I started going over different sermons I have heard and proved to them that these texts were taken out of context. That's not what Jesus meant to say. It wasn't what God wanted to reveal. And that shocked them. Because a lot of times in third world countries, because of the lack of seminaries and Bible schools, they tend to go into the eccentrics of things, you know, what, what really is exciting and all, uh, to, to rouse up people, to curiosity, to make them more emotional. And when they would see emotions, they equated that with, uh, with spirituality, that, that that must have been a great sermon. Did you see how many people got excited, how many amens, and how many people were yelling out? And that's one of the main problems we have in Nepal right now is just this hyper-emotionalism uh, in church services. And that's something we're trying to correct every time we go there. I remember one time my wife was uh, doing a women's ministry in a little place called Sarah Bazaar, and one of the women just fell on the ground and started cackling like a, a hen. I'm not trying to be funny. It was a sound she was making. They equated it to spirituality. And my wife very ge you know, uh, gentle and tenderly admonished them that this was just emotional. It wasn't even demon possession. When you see demon possession, you don't, you don't, you don't question it. It's just, it's just there, you know, you know, and, uh, but again, uh, one of the most important things, um, that I even stress here is for us to study the Bible verse by verse and chapter by chapter. When we do something like the life and the ministry, of Jesus, we, we, we try to incorporate a large portion of text to study together to establish context and then knowing that our content is the voice of God and what God is trying to be. Does any of that make sense? You know, sorry for the long intro, but I'm doing that to tell you now I need you to go back a little bit <laughs> and go to chapter 12. And let's see why. What was the reason Jesus gave this parable. And by the way, way, this is one of many. They are called the kingdom parables. There's more than one of them. And uh, again, whenever you hear the kingdom of God or you hear the kingdom of, uh, of Christ, it, it, listen, he's not talking about heaven. He's not just talking about the millennial reign, the thousand year reign. He's talking about the sphere in which God is working. 
Uh, for an example, today we are now experiencing, since you entered into this building, you are now experiencing the kingdom of Christ or the kingdom of God, whatever terminology you want to use. What do you mean by that? Well, our prayer is when you come in, the Holy Spirit begins to work on your heart, that your hands are raised and you're, you're pouring out your heart to him and you're, you're starting to say amen to certain things or certain phrases or certain verses of the song. And the Holy Spirit now is working. You are then experiencing the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Is there a literal kingdom coming? Absolutely. And I'm waiting for it, man. I can't wait to enter into it. But that is a literal. This is a spiritual. And so if you're here today and you're just saying, well, I come because, hey, it's a Sunday. My wife's made me come out or my husband's drugged me out here. I don't get anything except the, the, the pretzels out front, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm not sure if you're experiencing anything other than being hungry or yawning through my message. Um, so just uh, you got to understand that. And, and again, I'm good, kind of fast-forwarding a bit. Uh, in Mark's account of the same parable, he is going to say, I believe it's in chapter 4, verse 13, if you don't understand this parable, you're not going to understand the rest of them. So if you can just do your best to kind of dial in, tune in to what this parable really is, what it means then the other parables will be a little easier to comprehend and actually make applicable to your own lives. Make sense, church? Well, what's happening is here is that if you look at verse... Um, well, let's go up two more. Look at verse 22. It says there uh, was brought unto him one possessed with a devil. Uh, uh, as a result, he's blind, he's dumb. And then... He healed him, Jesus healed him, insomuch that the blind and the dumb both speak and saw. Here's a man who is very handicapped. He's not able to speak. He's not able to speak as a result. He can't hear. He's mute. He, I mean, he's got it all right now as far as being handicapped. Now, um, the Bible tells us uh, the reason he's that way is because of demon possession. Now, there's a another study in and of itself on demonology, the study of demons and the study of Satan and how all that. We don't want to make that a study today. You know, um, do I believe that Satan is well and alive on planet Earth by Hale Lindsay? That's a, law, a book long ago. Yeah, absolutely. I, I really do. I think there is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ, but there's also a kingdom of darkness. Uh, Jesus is the king of his kingdom. Satan is the king of his kingdom. When Jesus was having that, that kind of um, confrontation, as it were, with Lucifer on the Temple Mount, when, he, when Satan revealed all the kingdoms of the world to him, he says, I'll give these to you if you just bow down and worship me. Jesus never once said, they are, they're not yours to give away. Frankly, they are his today. America does not belong to God. Sorry, I know it says that uh, on our dollar bill. You know, in God we trust. Maybe some of us do. But th th the main powers of this kingdom is under the influence of a sat satanic realm. Amen, guys? You don't have to be a rocket science. 
just be a realist and look at society today. Look at our school system. Look at, look at God's covenant with marriage. Look at everything God said is good and, and compare it to what's being presented to uh, now. That which is right is wrong and that which is wrong now is right. And we just see signs for his kingdom that is coming. Amen, guys? And so I'm not going to go into de- demonology this morning, though I probably just did. Anyway, um, and look at verse 23. All the people were amazed, and they said, Is this not the son of David? They are blown away. They haven't seen anything quite like this, even though there were the exorcists. There were those who were trying to exorcise demons out of individuals, uh, even within Judaism. The seven sons of Sceva, if you remember that story in the book of Acts. But, um, but they've never seen anything quite like this. Well, what didn't they see? The, the authority. They never saw anyone just shutting one of these demons up. Be quiet. What is your name? He had this exousia, Greek word for power, over the demonic realm like no one else could ever have. And they were totally amazed. And they said, could this be the son of David? Now, in your Bible, you can just circle that son of David. It was a messianic term. It was used for the Messiah. They believed that the Messiah would come through the, the line of David that he would come from, he would be called the son of David, sit on David's throne. They had this idea of one in a militant way to come and remove the Roman yoke from their son. Could this be the guy that's going to set us free? Now, that, that kind of tweaked the, the, the years of this, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They did not want to hear anything like this. They didn't want to hear that some individual like this carpenter and a son of a carpenter from someone who has a questionable moral background like this mayor. We don't want to hear that this guy can possibly be the son of David. But when the Pharisees, and again, I touched on the Pharisees last week, I believe, or two weeks ago. When they heard it, they said, nah, this, this fella doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. So he says, no, no, Satan is just using Satan's power here. Now, Beelzebub does mean Lord of the Flies, but we kind of sometimes laugh at that. But what he's saying is that Satan has given this fellow the power to have power over his own kingdom. Jesus knew their thought, and I love that. That really sobers me up sometimes. And maybe that's the wrong word to use. But you know what I mean by that. You know, it kind of like there's nothing hidden from him. He knows our thoughts. Psalm says he knows our thoughts afar off. Literally, the Hebrew poetry literally means he knows your thoughts before you even thought of them. You know, that's pretty powerful, is it not? Same thing with Simon the Pharisee. He knew his thoughts even before he voiced any concern about that questionable woman. But be that as it may, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, he says, listen, every kingdom, the rule of first mention. Remember, we're going into the kingdom parables. He says here, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. Complete ruin is the idea. Every city, house divided against that himself, it isn't going to stand. If Satan is going to be, if Satan casts out Satan, he's divided against himself. Then how shall then his kingdom stand? If I, by Beelzebub, the Lord of, uh, the prince of the devils, if I do that, 
you know, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your judge. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then it, here's the rule of first mention, then is the kingdom of God has come unto you. Or how, or how, or I'm sorry, or else, how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his good except he first bind the strong man? Then he, then will spoil his house. He that is not with me is against me. He that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Stop there for just a second. It's kind of obvious just looking at this of what Jesus is saying here. You, you know, Satan is, cannot stand against himself. A house that is divided against itself cannot stand. And in a literal, physical sense, that even that's applicable to a church. When a church is divided, it can't stand. When there is no unity, it's not going to have any influence in the world. That was one of the main concerns of the Apostle Paul. The early church being so divided by false teaching, false movements. He goes, no, the most important thing is there is unity within the body of Christ. That's when there is strength. But in this context, he's just saying this, this is absurd. To think that Satan would stand against himself. Now, again, no big teaching on demonology, but there's something that I have to say here, or at least mention quickly. A Christian cannot, cannot be demon-possessed. You're saying, well, yeah, I kind of I get that. There's a, there are a lot of folks within Christendom, in e- even evangelicalism, that do believe that Christians can be possessed by a demon spirit. It can happen according to the scriptures. So when we start to see these different um, movements or different, we'll call them deliverance ministry, and we see them hyping their, their hearers, the, the, those that are there, into sort of like a frenzy, convincing them that possibly they are demon-possessed. It's just sheer emotional. If they are saved, I'm talking about. Is there a possibility of someone not knowing the Lord where the house is still empty? And, and then the Satan it comes back and he indwells this tabernacle? Yes. You know, the, Bi- the Bible teaches us that this body is a house. It's a house for good or for evil, righteousness or unrighteousness. But it does have. Behold, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. Amen. How many of us know that verse in the book of Revelation, right? If any man hears my voice and he opens up his heart, I will come into him. And the word that he uses there is, I will tabernacle or I will house myself inside. We are a house. You know, what? You, it's either going to be full of light or full of darkness. But don't, don't make the mistake that once, once light enters in, Great is that light. Once the righteousness of God enters in, great is the righteousness. Satan has no place, no place, he can't be there. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, that satanic kingdom. But Harry, what about oppression? See, that's what I get about the. I don't get about these guys that teach this deliverance. Once they buy into the truth that, okay, all right, we're, well, you can be oppressed. You know, I'm really getting sick of even hearing that. 
You're oppressed. You know what? Well, you know why? Because, and I said I wasn't going to do this, but it gives Satan just that little window to toy with you, to mess with you. Look, I understand it. You understand it. That in this world we're going to have tribulation, right? It's not going to be the tribulation, most likely, that the, the, the early church went through. But nonetheless, we are going to deal with difficult times. Why do we always have to blame Satan for it? Why can't it just be life? That, that this time in my life, I have just been dealt a bad deck, and I, hand, or whatever you poker people call it. And I just, I'm just, it's, just, it's just the way it is. But I'm not going to lean on my own understanding. I will lean on him. He'll, he'll lead, lead me and he'll lead me in the paths of righteousness. And I know I'll come out the other end a better man or brother, better brother or better sister. Now, am I saying that Satan can't turn it up as it were? Well, sure, but only if he's given permission. Satan cannot do one thing to the Christian... Without permission from the Holy Spirit of God. And believe me, God is going to use him like he's a puppy on a, a leash. Jerking him around, trying to, no, you're not going to do it to him this time. You're, he, you go through the book of Revelation. Every time Satan does something, he's given permission to do it. Man, if we're, listen, uh, Isaiah chapter 15, or 14, I check my... my my reference out, but it's, it gives us an, a little glimpse of, of Satan, how he exalted himself and then he was brought down. But when we walk past him, most likely during the judgment seat of Christ, when we walk past him, Christian, listen, we're going to look at the one that's just right before he is thrown into the abyss. We're going to look at him and we're going, that is the one that's created havoc in the world this is the one that brought fear to the nation this is it this is what i was afraid of learn it now and you won't be afraid of him this preacher i used to listen to way back in the 70s or something he used to say satan goes around like a roaring lion but if you look carefully he has no teeth he can only gum you and everybody would go hallelujah you know there is long hair hippie kid going, hallelujah. I went to the strangest meetings, man. I didn't. We didn't have a church. Nobody told us anything about the Bible, so. But no, that's what he's saying here. You know, Satan is not going to come and come against himself. Whom the Son of Man has set free. He is free indeed. I'm in the middle of a trial. Embrace it. Watch how you come out the other end. Harry, I'm, it's temptation. Well, he's trying to teach you right now to lean on him. Harry, it's addiction. He's trying to show you that you can be delivered just by embracing his strength, his power, the Holy Spirit. God can set you free. He allows these things in our lives to conform us more and more into his image. And if you're somebody who don't want to be conformed into his image, I have the question whether you know him or not. Because that is a desire every young Christian has. I want to be more like my dad my savior, my friend. Make sense, church? You think we'll ever get to this parable yet? Oh, I'm so guilty. 
Wherefore I say unto you, look at verse 31, so important, all manner of sin and blasphemy. Please note that. All manner of sin and blasphemy. It shall be forgiven unto men. But the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit shall not be forgiven unto men. Now he, he's going to explain that. And so many times, and again, I don't, I, I'm sorry for going back to my older, younger days with the Lord. But I remember that there, that there was this movement. I think it was with Derek Prince and them guys with pigs. And yeah, I'm looking at my buddy down here. We, were, we got saved almost the same time when we went through the strange craziness. But there was this, this, there's this guy that was teaching that Christians can be demon-possessed. And here we are. You know, I'm just coming out of a glue bag going, what? You know, and he convinced us that, that we, we could be demon-possessed and all this, you know. Um, uh, but he, because he said that we were blaspheming against the Holy Spirit if we kept sinning. And, uh, and so for a short period of time... Some of us embraced that kind of thought, and we thought Christians could be demon-possessed, so we're praying over each other. I remember praying over this guy. He had allergies. Poor, poor guy. He had these allergies. He kept sneezing during the hay fever season, and uh, he says, I think I got a demon. I said, really? He goes, yeah, it's a, I just can't stop sneezing, and it won't come out. I said, all right, well, listen, I'm going to pray deliverance over you, but do me a favor. He goes, what's that, Harry? He goes, I just don't let this thing speak to me. It'll freak me out, right? See, that's how crazy we got with some of this thing. You know, the poor guy, all he got was a headache. That's all, you know, and uh, he had allergies, you know. My goodness. You know, there is demon possession for people that, that believe that. It's called the demon of stupidity. That's what it's called. But what is the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit? Look at verse 32. Whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. Wait a minute. You mean all those days where my brother was coming to me saying, Harry, Jesus died for you. Oh, get out of here. You're a nutcase, Danny. I don't want to hear all the... I was, I was still being forgiven. From the cross, I was forgiven. Yeah, the, no matter what kind of person, you might have been like a Saul of Tarsus where you re- literally hurt Christians for their faith, but yet it shall be forgiven you. Against the Son of Man? Look what he says. It shall be forgiven. But whosoever speaks against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this, in this world, he's making a strong point, neither in the world to come. Either make the good tree, look what it says, make the good tree and its fruit good, or make... Or else make the tree corrupt and its fruits corrupt. You're going to know the the tree by its fruit. If you just look at the verse 34, you can see who he's talking to, you generations of vipers. He's, He's calling the Pharisees, the religious leaders, who just finished calling him, you know, his authority under the authority of Beelzebub. He's, you snakes. You snakes, you know what? You can speak against me, it'll be forgiven. Speak against the Father, it's forgiven. But if you speak against the Spirit of God, it's not forgiven. You cannot be forgiven. Paul the Apostle, he says the same thing in the book of, the book of Romans where it talks about the, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, the slandering of the Holy Spirit. Why is that so heavy in the Apostle's heart and even in Jesus' heart here? Why is it? Well, Paul the Apostle understood that uh, that mystery. These folks, on the other hand, were probably really scratching their heads. Why? Because the Spirit of God had not come into the world like it had when it, at the day of Pentecost. 
You see, what, see, the Bible tells us that the Spirit of Christ came into, the Spirit of God came into the, into the world for one reason and one reason only. And that is to reveal the gospel, to reveal death, burial, resurrection, that there was going to come a Messiah, not like they thought, out of the son of, like the son of David, but he was going to come as a suffering Messiah, that he would die on a cross, that he would be buried, and then to descend to, to set the captives free, to raise again, to give new life. And that was the primary job of the Holy Spirit, is to reveal Jesus Christ, what he is going to do. But if you slander that, you say, I don't believe in that, then there is no hope, there is no forgiveness. And, as, and even as, as the book of Hebrews declared, once you've been enlightened, you reject that. There is no place of repentance for someone. Never. You keep rejecting the Holy Spirit's tugging on your heart. You keep rejecting that drawling, that measure of faith. Just give me your heart. Give me your heart. Ask me to forgive you. Believe in your, in your heart. And I've been raised from there. Confess with your mouth that I am your Lord. Just do that. Do that. And thou shalt be. No, no, no. Now the severity of that. Paul the Apostle says that the Holy Spirit will start to pull away from that individual. Now I don't know where the cutoff line is. You know, I, I think... My point of view with the grace of God, it really takes a long time. But the Bible teaches us that a person can keep rejecting that conviction and rejecting and rejecting. I don't want to give up my drinking. I don't want to give up my gambling. No, no. Yeah, I understand that Jesus died, but I don't want to surrender. I don't want to embrace the cross. I am never going to confess with my mouth. He's Lord. I'm never going to believe. And you keep and all of a sudden, maybe a year, two years, all of a sudden you go, it doesn't matter anymore. Let her go to church. I'll let my kids go to Sunday school. I'm going to just sit here, smoke my stogie. Whatever you do, I'm just going to keep rejecting it. And then one day you're facing God, and he's going to reveal that. He's going to reveal how many times where my spirit will not always strive with man, as the Bible tells us. I don't know the cutoff point. I really don't. I don't know when God says that's it. I think it takes a lot. It is the long-suffering and the gentleness, the patience of God that leads a man to repentance. But I wonder if God sees in the corridor of eternity and he sees that that gal's not coming to me, that guy's not coming to me, and my spirit will no longer convict them. That's why we preach the gospel here. I don't care about theology. I, I really don't. You think of the word theology, it's it's it's... It's crazy to think, Theo is theostic, Godology, of course, to study, study God. Who's going to study God, please, to where you're going to understand him? The psalmist said, your ways are above ours. Why would you even be mindful of us? Look, I might have a, I, I kind of know my, my theology when it comes to righteousness and justification, and I know it's all by faith, but my goodness, theology, give me a break. I think I need to keep moving on because we're not even going to get close to that parable today. He calls them vibe generation. It's important generation. Remember the, the kingdom of God. We're establishing the context. He says, you generations of vipers. How can you 
being evil speaks good thing. How are you even going to understand what I'm teaching? Out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaketh. Remember the the parable really deal this parable of the sower it's not about farming folks it's about the heart it's about the heart he says a good man out of good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things an evil man out of the evil treasures bring forth the evil thing i say unto you who's he saying it to the pharisees i say unto you that every idle word of man shall shall speak they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. And so someone just rejecting and rejecting and, and slandering the activity or the move of the Spirit of God in someone's life or, some, or even in their own lives. Every other sin, is, you can be forgiven except that one. Every idle word. I believe every other. You know what the major sentence or phrase will be? Not now. Coming out of the, the lips of, of those who have rejected it. Not now. Not now. And that, sto that stony ground and that wayward ground and that ground that's just filled with thorns and thistles. Not now. Not now. Not now. I would rather have my anxieties, the cares. I would rather have my riches, the riches of this life. Not now. Not now. And at that judgment, see, I don't think you're going to see a lot of... People thrashing around, going, no, I don't want to go. You, just and true are your judgment. People who are being cast into the lake of fire for eternal punishment, all you're going to hear them say, I didn't want it. Not now. And I know, I'm not speaking to a large crowd here where most of you are unsaved or not saved. I know most of you are saved. But the next time you're witnessing to a family member or someone that you love dearly and they say to you, I'll kick that thought around, but not now. Maybe you'll hang on to them a little longer or not give up on them. Because you know, not now just means I'm rejecting. You know, not now doesn't mean not now. It means you've rejected, if that makes sense. Certain of the scribes, verse 38 and the Pharisees answered and said, Master, we would see a sign from you. We want some evidence. Boy, they just don't give up, do they? He says this to them. And, uh, and of course, I've even taken this out of context, though I, I believe what it says. The evil, adulterous generation seeks after a sign. And I have used that to try to encourage people to be a people that don't seek after signs and wonders, the sign gifts, you know. Uh, but that's not the context. Now, that's obvious. That's not what he's talking about at all. He's talking about a generation, right, uh, who was embracing the kingdom of darkness rather than the kingdom of light. He's talking about a group of people here that, that either you're going to be a good tree and you're going to embrace that which will come out of you, good, good fruit, or you're going to be an evil tree and you're not going to embrace any of this and that judgment will be great. But he says, an evil and adulterous, he's speaking of a spiritual uh, adultery, 
uh, seeks after signs. Well, there's no sign going to be given to it. Now, remember, he's talking about a generation. No sign's going to be given to it except for the sign of the prophet Jonah. This is what he means. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the bellies, or the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You're not going to be given a sign. The only sign, now listen, you're welcome to your own opinion. The only sign that's going to be given to you is the sign of Jonah. As the Son of Man, and he, and he talks about it, going down into the, to the heart of the earth or to, into Sheol. What, why did Jesus, after he died, he descended? Why? He proclaimed liberty and he set the captives free. He did not go into hell to suffer the eternal punishment for us. People try to make that statement. He did not suffer. He went down to proclaim liberty. Now, what he went through doing that, but he was not facing the judgment of God there. And, um, but that would be, there's a question for you. How's that a sign to them? Do you think most of these Pharisees and Sadducees believed after the resurrection? No. When Jesus died and he was put in the grave and then three days later came up, did they think, oh, wait a minute, that's just like Jonah. No. When will this be assigned to them? When it's too late. When it's too late. When they're standing at judgment, these words, they will be able to recall that he descended set the captivity free, came back, left our sin in the grave, and then rose to be with his father, to sit on the right side of the father, make intercessions for us forevermore. Those who believe that can be saved. Those who reject that, the sign of Jonah means nothing to them. Nothing at all. I don't think we we should be a people that seeks after signs and wonders. I don't think that's the place... Is there signs and wonders? Oh, absolutely. Do I believe that God is the same yesterday, today, forever? Absolutely. I will not hesitate to get oil and to anoint somebody. Pray for them for healing. If there is someone demon-possessed, I will roll up my sleeves and do my best to pray and ask God to deliver. I have seen demon possession. And it is not a, a, a joyous or a festive type of an atmosphere. Let me tell you, my first time that I was introduced to demon possession, I'll tell you what, I was, I was so afraid. The things that I saw, the things that I heard, it was a 14-year-old young man. And there six men could not hold this man down, this young boy down. I was just there in the audience, but he was right at my feet. I heard animal sounds come out from the belly of this kid. I saw grown men weeping over him, trying to pray over him. But then I saw sanity come to him. And a man just, just, just so gentle and gender kneeled down and say, Son, receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior right now. And he cried out. He cried out. He received Christ to his feet, a changed man. Don't buy into some of the shenanigans and, that you hear about today. That's not demon possession. Trust me. When you see demon possession, you'll know it. <laughs> During the coffee house, we had this kid come in and 
we had gotten saved together on the same time, and I knew he was full of the Holy Spirit, but someone came in and said, oh, so-and-so's demon-possessed. And I go, well, how do you know that? He goes, well, he's telling me he's possessed. I said, he's telling you. So he comes, and we get, my brother's there, and we're looking at him, and I, and I forget his name, forgive me. And I said, I said, you're demon-possessed? He goes, yeah, I really feel like he's inside. I said, dude, you're not demon-possessed. Fear, that's what some of these deliverance ministry instills, fear, not grace. Look at verse 41. The men of Nineveh shall rise up in judgment at this generation. This generation, that's the context of this. And shall condemn it. Why? Because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Behold, one is greater than Jonah. Well, my crying out loud... What was so good about Jonah? You know the story about Jonah. At least our Sunday school kids do. He was the guy that was called by God to be a prophet of God, to go and preach to this wicked and perverse nation called Nineveh. But Jonah refused. He didn't want to go. Remember, he heads down to a seaport, Joppa. He's going to try to take off and run from God. That's pretty stupid, if you ask me. And as he gets into the ship, he goes out. Of course, there's this storm he's thrown over and this big guppy comes along and swallows him and then regurgitates him back on the shores of Nineveh I kind of like my own story you can understand a, a whale doing it but a guppy he throws him up imagine what he looked at three days in the belly of this fish the, the stomach acids no hair his, his skin is bleached white or at least it's all blotchy you know he's probably not wearing any stitch of clothing when he gets barfed up and he starts going through Nineveh. And, he, and you think, well, what a powerful sermon for the whole nation to begin to rip their clothes and put sackcloth and throw ashes in it. What a powerful message that must have been. Really, it was an eight-word sermon. That was it. He didn't like them. They had no love for them. He didn't even want to be there. And he's going to give them this. There's not even one point. He just says, Yet. <laughs> 40 days and then comes this, uh, judgment this is eight, I think it's eight words in my old king that's it he kept saying that same thing all through and then all of a sudden the people are by the spirit of God are beginning to you know to confess their sin and said they was and what Jesus is saying here is man they repented just that in an eight word sermon and there's one greater than that greater and that's saying the least isn't it the queen, of, uh, the queen of the South, talking about the queen who came to Solomon for wisdom. Uh, they're going to rise up uh, in judgment against this generation and shall condemn it. For she came from the othermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, even there's one greater than Solomon here. Is here. So he goes back, he goes, when an unclean spirit is going out of a man. Remember the context. He's not all of a sudden talking about demon possession. When an unclean spirit is going out of a man, he walks through these dry places seeking rest and he finds none. He says, then saith, I will return into my house from whence I came out. And when he has come out, he finds it empty, swept and garnished. Then he goes, he takes with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be also unto this. And that, 
this wicked generation. He's not talking or trying to teach about demon possession. He's not saying, okay, this is what it's like. If a person then, you know, uh, is demon possessed, if somebody comes along and he exercises this thing out of him, and now that temple, that tabernacle, that house is all cleaned out and it's all garnished. He goes away and he can't find any place that rests. So he just calls seven of his other demon buddies, going, hey, let's go back and check this same guy out and let's see if he can. And, and then it's, it's, that state's worse than the initial state. He's just in a worse way. That's not what Jesus is trying to teach here. That's not it. That's, it's, it's just abusing the freedom of just taking text out of its context. He's talking about a generation. In fact, the Greek word literally can be translated a race. He's talking about a nation. Here I have come in with all this truth. And, and, and I'm setting people free and lame people are walking and blind eyes are being opened. And people that could never hear are beginning to hear again. And there's hope now to the prostitute and to the homeless. And here, here I come in and I'm cleaning up house. But if you stay in this state after I'm gone, it's going to be a lot worse. Now, is it true and you know, individually for a person that God does something glorious in your life and but still you keep rejecting the Holy Spirit later on your life is worse than it was in the beginning? I, I can see that happening to someone. Someone who uses a, a ministry down the hall called Missing Peace. They come in, they sit, and they like the teaching, Brian's teaching, and they clean up their life. There's reform in their hearts, but they really never fill in the, the, the void, the emptiness that's inside. And then, then they figure, I got this. I'm all clean now. And, and then they go back out. They start hanging out and they start doing it all over again. And now it's worse. Haven't we seen that in the church? Come in looking to be reformed. They go out. They feel better. But when they come back, they're ten times, well, seven times worse. That's what he's, he's talking about a nation here. A nation that experiences a revival. You think about the Great Awakening. You think of what happened over in Europe, where bars were closed. Jail the jails were empty. Police officers had to be put on, um, uh, what's the word, uh, you know, uh, unemployment if they had it, you know. Because there was no one to police. Everybody was being converted. Churches were overflowing with people. Look at Europe today. Look at my wife's over there in Germany right now. And she sees all these big cathedrals. And she sees where the Reformation started. It is such a godless nation now. Godless. Look at our country. Think about the revivals that happened in the 1800s. Think of what all the, the great books that are written about, you know... Uh, uh, Robert Evans and what happened when he came over the pond here to America and churches being built at a record rate. Let th think, think about the kids that got saved in the 60s and the 70s. Thinking how, how the, all the kids sitting there at the, the, the you know, being about 1,700 kids being uh, baptized at the Pirate's Cove, you know, back in the set early 70s. Think about the great moves of God and look at kids today. Where are they? Look, look around. Where's the kids? If your kids are here today, it's because you brought them. You couldn't keep kids out of churches back in the 70s. They were packed. Long hair, freaky people. Need not apply. But anyway. Where are they? 
It is seven times worse than it was. Kids don't want to even hear about God. And you know what the one contributing factor is to that? And please, don't throw stones. Is because parents allow these stinking, stinking iPhones in the hands of their kids. It's keeping them away from the Spirit of God. To sit down and let the Holy Spirit just speak to their hearts. It's keeping them from it. It's called entertainment. Okay, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm sorry. If I had kids, I'd be as guilty as everyone else. We need another move of God, don't we? Can we start praying for that? I'd like to see what... You know what? God answered my prayer. I just wanted to see one ring in my lifetime. And I said, I just want one more revival. Amen? Look, I'm going to stop there and have Richard come out. But uh, let's just real quickly talk about verses 46. It's, it, and, and I think it's, again, we're talking about the kingdom of God, a, a generation, a race of people. They had one greater than Jonah, one greater than the queen there, or Solomon. And um, he's talking about something so important. In fact, the kingdom... The kingdom parables. And then all of a sudden, Mary shows up. And they tell Jesus, hey, Mary and your your brothers are here. And he takes the opportunity again to speak about the kingdom of heaven. He says to them, who is my mother? And who is my brother? And by the way, the doctrine of perpetual virginity, uh, that's not found in the Bible anywhere. Mary and Joseph had a perfect, normal relationship after the birth of Christ and had other kids. But anyway, um, who, who are they? Who's my mom? Who's my brothers? Who my, my sisters? You know, and what he's dealing with is, of course, biological families are so important. Yeah, I've heard stories where not so important, but, but for most part, to have families a pretty cool thing, right? I personally, I didn't have that. We didn't have a, a family that got together and shared birthdays or anything like that. Um, so, of course, when I was introduced to my spiritual family, my goodness, my, my, my friends, you know, that are saved now are my Christian brothers. And so, of course, it... I always had that tendency, and still do, to reach out to a brother in Christ than I would a biological. Both of my brothers have passed away now, but um, I still would have done that if they were alive. I, I, I have a real close friend here. We went to high school together. And every now and then, I just will text him just to, to hear his voice or see his voice, whatever. And just when it, and we'll call. And, and he'll, we're always in touch somehow. And he, but he's my brother. I would have the, the tendency to go to him faster than I would go to a relative. Why? Because there's a stronger bond within the family of God than there is in the family of, or the biological family. There should be. There should be. Now, I'm not saying if my mom were still alive, I mean, she was the greatest thing in my life. But if, I, would, I, I would never say she wasn't, any, wasn't important. But you know what Jesus is saying here? Those that do the will of my father... 
those that are a part of the kingdom of heaven, they are my brothers and they are my sisters and they are my moms and they are my dads. And to me, and the reason why I, I, I share this with you, because it's a sad thing to me when it's not. It's a sad thing when all I do is, is just see folks just on Sunday. I want to know you better. I just, you know, I don't know how that happens. I don't know if it's through home fellowships. I don't know if it's through having more potluck dinners together. I don't know if it's maybe interacting with each other in our service to the king. I don't know, but I really do. I want to know you better. I, I do, and because then the more I get to know you, the more deeper I fall in love with everyone. And that's the desire that, who is my mother? Who is my sister? Who are my brother? It's, I'm looking at you. You are the family of God. Crying out loud, there, there are young ladies in this church uh, that I watch grow up, and they call me Uncle Harry. I want everybody calling me Uncle Harry. Just don't call me Grandpa. That's... But that's how important it is, the family of God, because if we stay together, as, as, as we get closer and closer and closer to the return of our Lord, and it gets more difficult... I'll have your back and you'll have my back and we'll watch the church grow. Amen. Let's stand and pray together. Father, we just thank you so much for your word. I guess it was just kind of crazy to think I could get into that parable, Lord, but but it's a beautiful thing, Lord, to just see how the scriptures just, they unfold for us. They just roll out. To know now, Lord, that there's a generation that just keeps rejecting and rejecting. But yet there is also within that generation those who have accepted. They have accepted and we have become brothers and sisters and moms and dads in Christ. You call us a family, God. You call us the family. You're, you're the husband. We're the bride. You're the groom. And Lord, you're beginning even to prepare us, Father, for that literal kingdom that is coming. Because there is going to come a day, God, where you call us home. You're going to call your family home. The dead will rise first and we that are alive and remain will we'll be caught up. But we'll come into that kingdom, God. We'll all sit around the dinner table together. Man, I can't wait for that. To see you, Lord, face to face. All together, brothers and sisters, sitting at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Lord, we want ears to hear. We want our hearts to receive. Lord, don't allow our hearts. Please help us, Holy Spirit, never to, it to get crowded or calloused so hard that it won't receive your word. Help us, Lord, not to be over-concerned about the cares of this world or the deceitfulness of riches, God, the uncertainty of riches, God. Help us to know where our help does come from. Our help comes from the Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you for your word, God. Thank you for your word. Help us never to grow cold, lethargic, 
keep that fire burning within our hearts. We so love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's worship.